Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Falk, and I am joined today by Dr. Paige Grimm. Paige is a well-established PT in our practice who has gone through a considerable amount of continuing education in women's health, specifically pelvic floor physical therapy. Today, Dr. Paige and I are going to delve into the specific area of pelvic floor PT that is more common than you think, which is leaking, especially during exercise, and we'll kind of dive into the other angles of that as well. But first, let's just take a quick look together about the landscape of pelvic floor PT before we dive into that. So Paige, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your expertise with us. <laughs> Happy to do so. <laughs> um, so before we get into things, um, tell us what got you interested in women's health and pelvic floor PT? Why that? Yeah. So there's a couple of things turning the big three O soon. So just thinking about having a, a family in the near future. So that kind of sparked my initial interest, just being able to like answer those questions that a lot of people have for myself. And then as well as like any family or friends that are currently going through that, just being able to be a resource for them and just answering any questions they have either during pregnancy or after and just really any questions related to pelvic floor because I think it's such a like like I don't know it's kind of a scary topic for a lot of people and there's a lot of there's been a lot of unknowns for a while and I think there's not a lot out there when you're looking for a resource when it comes to how do you stay active what's safe to do all those types of things absolutely I just think that it's kind of been something that's gone you know, underdressed for so long. And it's something that's so obvious and right there in front of us. And clearly women have been a having children for millions of years and all of the above. Like this isn't anything new that these right. needs are there. It's just that we're finally actually getting the resources together and properly addressing them and bringing them a part of the conversation table too. ultimately, maybe not the dinner table, but you know, <laughs> um, but, you know, just making it more commonplace so that way women can feel like they have these resources and men in all technicality. Yeah. Um, I don't want to just, you know, I don't want to discount that. Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely something that's coming to the forefront and it's something that's very important to, for women to realize and men that this is a resource that's out there for them. Yeah. So as you went through this, what are some of the things that surprised you as you were going through this education? I don't know if there's like one thing specifically that surprised me. I think overall, like my feeling coming out of a lot of the training I did was just, it's not as scary as I thought it would be. And it's not as different as I thought it would be compared to training or working on any other area of the body. So that was kind of like a good, like sigh of relief where it's like, Oh, like this is it. Like, that's not, that's not bad. Why is this such a like untouched topic and something we don't share more about and work on and, and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's, um, obviously there's some like it's obviously a more personal therapy on some fronts, depending on what level that you are receiving treatment and things like that. But I think when you have a provider that views this as like, it's honestly no different than learning how to squat properly. Like there are certain, you know, understanding like fundamentals that we need. There's progressions. This is normal. This is a muscle. This is something that needs to be addressed. This is mm -hmm. important tissue that needs to be addressed. And when we can make it a very simple situation, it doesn't feel as intimidating, I think. You know, from a patient and provider perspective and things like that. So, um, yeah, I totally agree. It can feel very uncomfortable. It's obviously gotten not something that people normally talk about. Um, it's been more comfortable in recent years to talk about. But again, you know, a little intimidating, a little uncomfortable. But for people to realize it's not that big of a deal, I think mm -hmm. it's super important and makes people more comfortable 
to be willing to be seen. Yep. Um, how common are pelvic floor issues, would you uh, say? Overall, pretty common. There's different types, right? So someone can be having um, pain. Someone can be having leaking. There's a ton of different issues someone can be having in the area. So I think leaking is probably the most common issue you see. But out of all the issues, it's probably the one that gets the least addressed because people tend to just learn to live with it um, and think it's kind of the new normal. Um, but there's definitely a wide variety of things you can see when it comes to the pelvic floor. There are things like age and childbirth and other contributing factors that do make it more likely in certain populations. But you know, even things that just increase that like intra-abdominal or core pressure, like sneezing, laughing, coughing, which is things we all do every day can be big triggers for those. So I definitely think it's a very, very common issue. How do you think that these things kind of go ignored or, you know, don't get addressed? You know, why is that that these things are left untreated for so long sometimes? I think it goes back to the what you were mentioning, how it is like a little bit of a, it is a personal area and it's a personal topic for people that want to feel like safe and comfortable talking to someone about. And if is if leaking is the more common issue, it's it's easier to deal with and easier to kind of manage and keep to yourself than if it's pain or something else that's a little bit more limiting throughout your day. Um, so I think that's why like leaking out of all the issues tends to be one of the most common and one of the most almost ignored. Um, and I think it just comes down to it's a little bit of an uncomfortable topic for some people. Um, and they just like <laughs> think it's kind of the normal. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So with like pelvic floor PT, is it that like we have to do internal pelvic floor PT like right away as soon as we're having a problem or are there more simple solutions that people can come to expect or at least be introduced to or what does that kind of look like a little bit? I mean, internal can definitely be part of it. I think that's that was kind of like what we're taught or the conception in, in PT school is like, oh, if you're a pelvic floor PT, like you must be doing internal on everyone. And that's definitely not a thing. That's typically not where I start. It really depends on who's coming and sitting in front of me, what they're currently dealing with symptom-wise, what are their current activity levels now, and what are they trying to get back to? And then based on a lot of that just subjective information that they give me, it kind of like starts to give me an idea where we need to start. And it's typically not at that internal side. It's typically treating it just like any other muscle where we're trying to see like, how is the coordination? How is their awareness of that area? Is it a timing thing? Is it a strength thing? Um, just trying to narrow down like maybe where those deficits are. Do you ever see any other orthopedic conditions? Um, I don't know, maybe like hip pain or some other pain in that area that you as a clinician realize that pelvic floor is a part of this equation and that it actually comes into play outside of someone just seeking you for pelvic floor support? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of overlap in pelvic floor symptoms um, and that anatomy in general with hip and low back pain. Whether it's directly related or not, they typically happen around and can happen at the same time. So there'll be plenty of people that I'm seeing for whether it's their lower back or their SI joint or their hip. And I'll just mention like, hey, do you experience any leaking or have you in the past? Like, yeah, since my last childbirth 10 years ago, but I just thought that was normal and no one's ever yeah. asked me about it. Right. And we kind of have that conversation of it's probably very related to what you're dealing with. And if we're already looking at, say, the hip, like, why don't we just tap it all together? Absolutely. Yeah, no, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, we always talk about like your pelvic floor or in your hip and core strength as like your foundation. And that yep. pelvic floor is literally the base of that foundation. And, you know, if we don't address literally step one, it's hard to sometimes address all the other places um, in the most effective way. So it's definitely something that should be a part of the conversation at times, especially if they have any history of any of those parts that you were just talking about. 
So today we're talking about leaking. So I, we use this word like we think everyone knows what it means. But, you know, what do you mean when you say that? Like, what, what does that mean that I might realize, huh, I kind of fall in that category? Yeah. Um, so I think leaking, I think stress, urinary incontinence, which is just one type of incontinence there is. Um, so basically, stress, urinary incontinence is just when either physical activity or exertion puts pressure on the bladder and it causes us to leak urine. So does it have to be like a lot, a little, like what, like, is there a certain amount that causes me to say that this is what I have? Although maybe important to the individual is irrelevant. Like if you're leaking, you're leaking and it's something we can, we can work on and help you with if you're uncomfortable with it and if you want help with it. Yeah, absolutely. So we don't need to wait for it to be a lot before we realize that this is something we could do something about. Yes, definitely. Um, So does the stress urinary incontinence only happen with exercise? No, it can happen. I think we touched on it a little bit earlier with any type of increased pressure in that area. So whether it's coughing, laughing, you know, picking up a heavy grocery bag, anything where we're exerting effort and changing the pressure within like our core area um, can be a source and trigger for leaking. Interesting. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so what is considered normal or not? Like is, is a little bit okay or what? Where, where do we draw the line? I would say the general rule of thumb is leaking is not normal. It definitely becomes a lot of people's like new normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would say it's not normal because if we're having leaking, um, and those symptoms with just like easier things throughout the day, whether it's that like cough, let's say like a heavy cough, we can then almost guarantee that if we're having to lift heavy or lift up your grandchild or whatever it might be, that's going to be increased exertion and effort on that area. And we're going to leak as well. Yeah, absolutely. So when, when should someone seek help over something like this? I think the sooner the better. So typically with any orthopedic injury, um, an issue we're working on, the sooner we go to get it looked at and the sooner we can intervene, the sooner we can see progress and get you back to where you want to be. Um, so again, it's one of those things that's ignored for quite some time. But even if you have like a week or two, we're like, oh, I've like actually noticed I've been leaking with X, Y, Z. It wouldn't be a bad idea just to go get it checked out and make sure it's not something we can work on relatively quickly because it's probably just a coordination or a timing um, or even just a strength thing. And if and if you know what to do about it, which is nothing crazy, it's like, no, it's not like any other, basically like any other area of the body where it's typically not some like fancy setup with a bunch of different equipment and this like heavily orchestrated thing. It's usually just knowing what to do. And the what to do is generally pretty simple as long as you're getting a help and a guide as to what that is. So how does one strengthen their pelvic floor? I'm assuming we're not bicep curling to get this done. So, Well, if you are bicep curling, you are using your pelvic floor. <laughs> our pelvic floor is involved in pretty much everything we do. Um, and I think like that's what's out there in the past couple of years. Um, as you look up anything for pelvic floor, whether it's for leaking or pain or postpartum or prepartum, whatever it is, you'll see bridges, you'll see single leg bridges, you'll see Kegels, you'll see all these good and very foundational exercises but like what's beyond that? Because how do I bridge doing Kegels laying eye back to squatting 145 pounds like I want to? So there's not, there doesn't have to be like one specific pelvic floor exercise because ideally we're bringing our breathing and pelvic floor awareness and coordination and all that stuff into like functional full body movements. Um, so that's specific to you throughout your day. So that's interesting that you kind of, it's so we might be doing some pelvic floor things, but there's also like bigger picture things that are a part of this as well. Mm-hmm. 
So kind of going into that, thanks for uh, making me realize that my pelvic floor is flexing while I do bicep curls. I'll definitely be thinking about that while I do my upper body workout today. Um, what can I expect going to a pelvic floor PT appointment? Like I've never done this before. Probably feels a little uncomfortable. It's definitely uncharted territory. What should I expect? Yeah. So the general flow can change quite a bit depending on who's walking in the door and what they're dealing with. Um, I think the internal thing is probably what everyone has on their mind and what scares people the most. So typically I'll just use that session or two to get an idea of like, how is their awareness of their pelvic floor when they are contract, when they think they're contracting, are they contracting or are they bearing down? Just getting a good gauge at what is their current coordination of that area? What is their current strength? Um, and then kind of looking beyond that. So typically I'll bring up the idea of internal in the first session or two, just as, hey, this might be an area we go to depending on what we find and if, if we think it's beneficial. But I just want to kind of present that to them early on and, and see if it's something they're open to. Typically, when someone dealing with any of these things walks through your door, they're at a point where they're kind of willing to do whatever it takes to solve it. Just like someone comes in for knee pain and they hate needles, but they're like, I've been dealing with this for six months. Dry needle me. Like, like same thing. You get tired of it after a point where you're like, I don't care. Do what you have to do. So that's typically what I found there. Um, but after just assessing someone's awareness, their strength, their coordination of the pelvic floor, it might involve that visual exam as well as internal exam, especially if pain is one of the issues they're dealing with. Um, and then like beyond that, beyond the table, just getting someone on their feet and looking at squat, lunges, different functional movements. And are you leaking? There's certain times where like if we're just living our daily life, if we look at like an A-frame of a house as our analogy, right? Attic, first floor, basement. Attic is the shortening and when you're tightening up your pelvic floor. First floor is just where you should be most of the day, pretty relaxed, some level of contraction, some level of relaxation. And then basement is relaxed, lengthened when you're bearing down, whether it's pushing out a child or going to the bathroom, that's kind of that basement level. So making sure when they're doing different movements and when they're loading up different movements to heavier degrees, where are they? Are they, are they in the attic? Are they in the basement? Are they on the first floor? And just kind of gauging where their symptoms are with their current abilities and then figuring out how to progress them from there. So it's, it needs to be very, very functional because pelvic floor stuff shouldn't just be on the table. It's just really good to know that a, that even off of someone's comfort zone or anything like that, you know, that there's a varying degree of how this can be done and that there's a stepwise progression to get there, um, you know, versus thinking that we're like jumping in head first, which is super helpful. But again, mm -hmm. to think about that, like there are so many other applications to the pelvic floor outside of just what someone's concept of pelvic floor is, you know, yes. like I think people think pelvic floor, they think I'm going to the gynecologist, you know, almost no, or Kegels. They're like, that just means Kegels. Right. I'm like, Sure, but it also means about 99 other things. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's, you know, it's just, it's good for people to realize that it's not just that one thing and that it's a very global approach. Um, and that's also, I think, what helps people get back to functioning because if we just left it at Kegels, we probably wouldn't be actually solving the whole issue too, you know, if yeah. we're only doing those things and do they help? Like, absolutely. And there's a lot of different ways that we apply those exercises. So people understand their body and how it's functioning, but mm -hmm. there's, you have to take it to that next layer so that way your body's applying it into those real world situations in which you were experiencing your symptoms or pain or problems and things like that. So it's not just 
lay on the table, do 40 squeezes. Yeah. yeah it's just not that simple. Not going to get you very far. <laughs> nope. Nope. Not at all. Um, so if someone, what are some of the things that like, maybe I just noticed like a couple of times I've had really big sneezes, you know, kind of just like randomly out of the blue, nothing that's like consistent every time I sneeze, but like I'm starting to notice like maybe every now and then I've had something. Is there something that I can do to start addressing that just kind of on my own as I'm thinking about this and realizing that maybe something's changing or happening or what's your advice to someone when that starts to happen? Yeah, I think the, the first step that would be most helpful for someone in that situation would just be to take a mental note or an actual note of when are you noticing that? Like, is there a pattern to when you feel like you have those little occurrences? Um, and just trying to figure out if there's certain triggers for you because one person's triggers might not be another person's triggers. So really just trying to figure out when it happens to you um, can really help just kind of lay out a plan going forward. And if it's with coughing and not sneezing, it's something where we can just think about, and it does take a little bit of education, just thinking about, okay, in this case, if coughing creates too much internal pressure for my pelvic floor to like hold up right now, then I need to think about getting into the attic right before I cough and being a little bit proactive with it and having that little bit of like mental cue to it to start before your body kind of picks up on that timing, that coordination and that habit over time. So it's generally like little things here and there. It's just knowing when to introduce them and what's normal. That's good to know. So with this stuff, um, so with doing all these things, can I actually make this issue stop? Or is this something that I'm going to have to forever think, oh, before I cough, I have to go to the attic. <laughs> like, will this actually create long-term change for me? Or is this kind of a lifetime thing now? No, it should definitely be something that can stop. And it's something you train through to make it stop. Um, a lot of the, like what I would call lower level things and the coughing, sneezing, those types of things, those are just the starting point. And depending on the person, whether it's running or picking up their grandkids or lifting or whatever it might be like getting them to the point where their current body's threshold is well above, above whatever that stimulus is ensures that it's no longer a problem because then those little like cough sneezes things where you're increasing your pressure a bit isn't something you or your body has to think about because at that like first level of the floor you can maintain whatever that pressure is no that's good to know i mean because i feel like if someone's been accepting this for many, many years as an issue, I think they also kind of wonder, will I actually ever get past it? And so it's good to know that with this training and a well-rounded approach that there are ways to move past this, that you realize that this isn't a lifetime of a symptom that you're managing anymore. And I think that's super helpful. You know, and I think it's just good to realize too that like, this is one piece of the equation, you know, in the whole picture of how we treat pelvic floor at Kinetic that, you know, we're not just coming in and only treating your pelvic floor and then saying, sweet, thanks, see you later. Because wouldn't you also agree too that if you see someone that has pelvic floor issues, would it be a far stretch to say that they might have weakness in other surrounding areas that might be affecting them within their activities or their workouts or their daily life as well? Yeah, it'd probably be very likely, especially the longer it's been going on. There's probably been compensations or deconditioning in other surrounding areas above or below. 
Absolutely. No, I think that um, it's just really important for people to realize that no matter what level of activity, and you were kind of addressing it in your ex- in your explanations, like it could be that you're running, jumping, lifting weights. It can be that you're picking up your grandkids. Like these are things that happen in all walks of life. You don't have to be an athlete to experience them or, you know, an active individual in the weight room per se to yeah. experience them. And that this is kind of a any one situation and there are obviously some predisposing factors to it like if you've had kids or if we have any history of any procedures or any pain or injury or things like that but you know i've even had um like young teenage girls have this challenge and things like that and so age is not a restriction activity level is not a restriction these are things that happen for everyone and it's just important for everyone to realize that it's okay to ask questions about it and to you know, utilize your resources to solve this issue versus just live with it. Yeah. So um, I hope that this helped everyone have an understanding of what some aspects of pelvic floor PT can look like. It's not limited to this. And we will probably do some other podcast sharing on other things, especially um, delving into pre and postpartum and some other things like that. But, um, you know, my best Um, advice to you is if you want to learn more about us or Dr. Page and our patient care services, I'd check us out online at www.kineticsmp.com. You know, but ultimately what I would say is if you are a woman who is experiencing leaking or any other pelvic floor concerns, like Dr. Page was saying, um, heaviness, um, you know, pain, um, things like that, I'd encourage you to at least consider being seen for our free injury consultation. We have one that helps specialize, um, you know, focusing on female related issues like that. And it's really helpful to understand like, is this a problem? Is this not? What can I do to address it? And feel like you have that safe resource to reach out to and get a really good opinion on what can be done to help you get past this issue versus having to live with it. And again, part of what I love about our evaluations are that, you know, if we don't think it's something that we can help you with, we will get you somewhere that can, um, because it's important to not ignore these issues because it really is a quality of life thing. It's not that, I mean, sometimes it feels like an annoyance, but at some point it can really become a quality of life thing. And that's not something that we want our patients to have to deal with on a regular basis. So, um, you know, thank you, Paige, for sharing with us, this with us about, you know, leaking. I mean, it's just good to know that we don't have to accept that as something that's normal and that we should do something about it, especially on the front end versus waiting for it to go so long or increase in intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, and we appreciate your insight to what that experience is like because, you know, it's always a little intimidating to enter an office for something like this that seems very uncomfortable or new or different. Um, and I think that's very helpful for people to hear. So thank you to all our listeners for joining us today on the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed getting to know more about these aspects of pelvic floor physical therapy, and we really encourage you to reach out should you have any questions or any needs. Um, And just realize that you don't have to accept these things as normal, and it's important to prioritize your health um, so that way you can enjoy all these things without these barriers. So we uh, appreciate your time, and we will see you on the next podcast. Hey, wait a minute. Are you a runner that's been dealing with any pain or injury? Do you want to get back to running pain-free? You should check out our free pain-free running checklist. This is a checklist that goes through exactly the testing that we do in our office to try to help runners get back to pain-free running. It will walk you step-by-step how to accomplish the test and give you guidelines of what we would expect for a normal, active, healthy runner. You can access this free resource at the link in this podcast 
or by going to our social media at kinetic underscore SMP and clicking the link in our bio.